Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. As you contemplate the life of Joseph Smith, one of the most fascinating aspects that you see is the opposition that he overcame to accomplish the things that he did in his life. People, if you ask them how many lawsuits, for example, Joseph Smith was involved in, they might say, God, that's an interesting question. 10, 20, 30? I've heard a few people guess 40. But the true answer is over 200. The last number that I had heard by the scholars involved in the Joseph Smith Papers Project was something like 223. There's a fabulous book on the lawsuits that Joseph Smith was involved in that was published by BYU Law School professor extraordinaire Jack Welch. It's called The Legal Cases of Joseph Smith. There were other kinds of opposition that Joseph Smith overcame as well, and those happened in a way that most people are a little more familiar with, and those are anti-Latter-day Saint publications. Typically, they're called anti-Mormon publications, but they're publications against Joseph Smith or against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the subject that I wanted to focus in on today so people could understand the nature of what Joseph Smith overcame as he was involved in publishing the Book of Mormon, starting a new church, and following through with the commandments of God till the time of his death. The first serious attempt to discredit Joseph Smith by way of publication, was by a man named Abner Cole. He was the editor of a paper in Palmyra, New York, where the Book of Mormon at the time was being published. He was publishing a paper called The Reflector. Abner Cole's Reflector was publishing stolen extracts from the manuscript of the Book of Mormon as it was being uh, typeset. Obadiah Dogberry was the pseudonym that Abner Cole used. Now, quickly, 
it was discovered what was happening, and Joseph Smith got a court order to stop Abner Cole because he was violating copyright law, publishing things without permission that were copyrighted. You can then see the wisdom of copywriting the Book of Mormon. Abner Cole then changed his tactics, and he started to publish things in his Palmyra Reflector paper that were slanderous, saying that Joseph Smith was digging for treasure and that he was being influenced by a magician. So anti-Joseph Smith publications happened early. One of the next ones that occurred was by Alexander Campbell, who was the founder of the Disciples of Christ. He wrote the first published anti-Mormon pamphlet. The text appeared first as a series of articles in his own newspaper called the Millennial Harbinger. These were published in 1831, just a year after the church was formed. Then he published another pamphlet entitled Delusions. You can kind of guess what that had in it. Alexander Campbell first said that Joseph Smith made up the Book of Mormon out of nothing, and then he said, well, maybe that isn't possible. Maybe he wrote it with Sidney Rigdon and then finally came up with the idea that it was pilfered from the Spalding Manuscript, which is impossible. I have a copy of the Spalding Manuscript, and if you compare it with the Book of Mormon Manuscript, it just doesn't work. They're just not similar. The most interesting part about Alexander Campbell's work is that he changed it so much because he had a difficult time coming up with things against Joseph Smith that actually worked. One of the more interesting anti-Latter-day Saint works was published by a guy named Eber D. Howe. The name of his book was Mormonism Unveiled. I have an original copy, which I have read, and every time I see it, I snicker a little bit because Eber D. Howe misspelled unveiled on the cover and inside on the title page of the book. He published it in 1834. He collaborated in the effort with a guy named Philastus Hurlbut. You can't make these names up. Hurlbut was a member of the church, and then he was excommunicated for adultery. He claimed to have repented and came back, and then he was excommunicated again for the same reason. At that point, he went against the church and helped publish this Mormonism Unveiled book. So there you go. How did all this happen? Hurlbut went around and collected a number of affidavits, which he wrote beforehand as he talked to people and tried to get them to go after Joseph Smith. He collected 72 that he had written, and we know that they were written by Hurlbut because they say the same thing with the exact same words, and 72 people wouldn't be able to do that on their own. There's obvious collaborations like uh, uh, today photocopying the same thing and having 72 different people's 
sign it with minor changes. The idea that came about from this Hurlbut collection and and the work of a man by the name of uh, Ebert E. Howe, who we've just chatted about a bit, and Campbell, these three formed the major basis for most anti-Mormon literature that's ever been published in the 19th and 20th centuries. It All kinds of people just sort of borrowed all of these efforts. Now, if you look into this, they're also similar and they borrow each other's work so much that it actually caused BYU professor Hugh Nibley to sort of laugh. And he, he wrote a book or a short little article rather called How to Write an Anti-Mormon Book which he published in BYU Studies. And the gist of it was that he said, well, basically, you go uh, to Herbert and Howe's works and Campbell's works, and then you do this, this, and this, and that's where everybody writes anti-LDS literature. When you get to works that were serious and really had a negative impact, it would be hard to find one worse than the extermination order written by Missouri Governor Lilburn W. Boggs. That particular order, which you can find in the official Joseph Smith History of the Church in Volume 3 at page 175, actually says this, quote, The Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state, if necessary, for the public good, close quote. The result of this order issued by the governor of the state of Missouri led directly to the murder, rape, assault and battery, and destruction of property of many Latter-day Saints. This all happened and came about for a rather crazy reason, which is the Latter-day Saints actually treated black members of the church the way all other church members were treated. And this happened to make slave owners in Missouri angry, and they accused Latter-day Saints of inciting an insurrection. And ultimately, that claim led to the extermination order of Governor Lilburn Boggs. When we come back more about the history of anti-Joseph Smith, anti-Latter-day Saint, anti-Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint publications. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Stay tuned. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Today's program is about publications against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and against Joseph Smith and how serious they were. If you have a question or comment about this or any other program, feel free to send me an email. And also, if you just have a general religious question, I'd be happy to respond. If I don't know the answer, I will track it down from a good, reliable source. Send your email questions to martinstanner at gmail.com. That's S like Sam, martinstanner at gmail.com. 
While in Liberty Jail in 1839, Joseph Smith wrote to the Latter-day Saints and instructed them to gather up all the libelous publications that were afloat and all that were in magazines and encyclopedias and all libelous histories that were being published and were being written and by whom so that they could be assembled and bring to light all of the misleading and untruthful reports about the church. This is obliquely referred to in Doctrine and Covenant section 123 in verses 4 through 13. Ultimately, all of these petitions about the evils that happened against the church and its members while they were living in Missouri were assembled as redress petitions. And if you would like to read something that is just tragic, sort through some of these redress petitions. I have a published copy. They will make you cry if you read through them. It's just horrible, some of the things that the Latter-day Saints endured. These redress petitions were taken by Joseph Smith to then-president of the United States, Martin Van Buren, in Washington, D.C., whose response after seeing some of them was, Your cause is just, but I can do nothing. This injustice and the failure of the federal government, the government of Missouri, to do anything about the wrongs endured by the Latter-day Saints caused Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints, generally speaking, to change political parties. U.S. President Van Buren was a Democrat, as at the time were most Latter-day Saints. After President Van Buren refused to help, most of the Latter-day Saints became members of the Whig Party. This political change alarmed and angered a newspaper publisher by the name of Thomas Sharp. By this time, the Latter-day Saints were in Nauvoo and were prospering, and in the neighboring town of Warsaw, Illinois, was Thomas Sharp, this publisher. And his newspaper was called the Warsaw Signal. Alarmed over Latter-day Saint changes from the Democrat to the Whig Party, Sharp began a series of editorials against Joseph Smith and the church. Sharp was a Democrat, and he also began enlisting for help dissident former members of the church, William Law and his wife Jane. William had been excommunicated for adultery. He had been second counselor in the first presidency and had been seducing women in Nauvoo, and he was excommunicated. His wife then made claims against Joseph Smith and vice versa. Wilson Law, another family member, jumped into the fray, as did John C. Bennett and a number of others. The bottom line is that there were a group of people who had left the church 
who formed an alliance with this Thomas Sharp in Warsaw. And not only did Thomas Sharp continue to publish editorials against Joseph Smith in the Warsaw Signal, the Law Brothers and others put together the first and only issue of the Nauvoo Expositor, which was intended entirely to make statements of lies against Joseph Smith. As a matter of fact, there was nothing else in the first issue. All of the articles were claims by the excommunicated William and Wilson Law and others with the aid of Thomas Sharp against Joseph Smith. In response to this publication, the town council in Nauvoo declared the Nauvoo Expositor to be a public nuisance. This was carefully and legally done at the time, notwithstanding the fact that people today probably couldn't do this. At the time, it was legal. There were famous commentaries that were often used by a, a judge and law professor and legal commentary, uh, legal commentator, Blackstone, who, who wrote Blackstone's legal commentaries. They were high re highly respected, and they said that if a if a newspaper or other periodical were publishing libel and slander, that it could be declared a public nuisance. That had that been done in several other places before and after it happened in Nauvoo, but that's what the town council did after finding that this was legal in Blackstone's commentaries. The result of all of that was that charges were sworn out and filed in Carthage, and Joseph Smith and Hiram and others were then charged with treason, of all things, and taken to, to Carthage jail. It was there in Carthage jail that, of course, they were killed. And people wonder, why would an armed mob come against the Latter-day Saints. Well, it was not because of religious differences per se. It was directly as a result of Thomas Sharp and his newspaper and the efforts of the Latter-day Saints who were excommunicated, William and Wilson Law, his wife Jane, Thomas or John C. Bennett, and a number of others. June 12, 1844, Thomas Sharp's newspaper, the Warsaw Signal, said this in its editorial page, quote, and this is about the Latter-day Saints, quote, war and extermination of the Latter-day Saints is inevitable. Citizens arise one and all. Can you stand by and suffer such infernal devils as the Latter-day Saints to rob men of their rights without avenging them? This is a reference to the Nafu Expositor Press being destroyed. And then it goes on, quote, The time for talk is over. From now on, let your comments be made with powder and ball, meaning with guns, close quote. Two weeks later, Joseph and his brother Hiram were assassinated in Carthage jail directly as a result of this editorial in the Warsaw Signal. It is alleged or it was alleged at the time that Thomas Sharp was actually part of the mob that had killed Joseph Smith.
and Hiram. After they were killed, Sharp, in his newspaper, defended the killings on grounds that, quote, the most respectable of citizens had called for their deaths. Sharp and four others were eventually tried for murder, but they were acquitted for lack of evidence. From the beginning of Joseph Smith's efforts in translating the Book of Mormon till the actual time that he was killed, he was accosted by anti-Latter-day Saints and people who were against him. He, despite all these things, accomplished a remarkable amount. I hope this helps you understand some of the things that Joseph Smith overcame while leading the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.